Hello and welcome to Cast the Pod to Your Witcher. I'm your co-host Dov. I'm your co-host Aaron. And I'm your co-host Mags. And today we're doing the wrap-up episode for Sword Sword of Destiny. I nearly said Sword and Destiny. <laughs> I'm not sure what book I was referring to there for a second, but it's Sword of Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing because I just did. I just hear someone like pop open a can. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> what are we I thinking? stole one of Darius's scythes. Well, if that isn't the mid of the I episode, mean, sounds like a plan. I, now I wish I had a drink, have a little drunk episode wrap up. But um... as you were saying that, Dove, I was reaching over to my um shelf that I have my whiskey on and thinking I should I? I drank a bottle of red wine but uh, this might be a disaster and I've got places to be tomorrow so <laughs> yeah it, like 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 we're I only endorse drinking on this podcast if you're all ready for it like <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes we are today we are wrapping up sort of destiny so that's it's still tenuously a collection of short stories, but clearly in this case, they're starting to be more directly related to each other and try to there tell is a more a cohesive narrative. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. The interstitials are less forced <laughs> insofar as there aren't really. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't have to come up with this weird sort of external structure for it to be a short story collection. It is just a short story collection that you can reasonably assume is relatively chronological. About yeah, like I, I don't, I don't remember if I'm fully right on this, but I think Sword of Destiny is actually the first one that's like, actually, um, was originally published as an anthology, um, like as in the the short stories in Sword of Destiny, I think hadn't appeared elsewhere before he published them as an anthology, whereas The Last Wish was published after as a collection of the ones that he hadn't published before the Sword of Destiny. Yeah, so this, yeah. the six stories are Bounds of Reason, Shard of Ice, Eternal Flame, Little Sacrifice, Sword of Destiny, and something more. So, basically, um, what we tend to do with the, these wrap-up episodes, I think this is our second one now, is we just, um, just for the listeners, we just, um, we just use it as an opportunity to talk about all of the stories together, um, and sort of how they inform each other and also these are um, spoiler filled episodes so um, talking about it in relation to the previous book and the series obviously but also sort of where it's leading to so if you want no spoilers for, for Blood of Elves and onward this episode might not be for you <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah um, I think this is really interesting not just because unlike um, The Last Wish, which is, um, as you said, a collection of short stories that were published elsewhere when he was just sort of writing the sort of the short stories of sort of Geralt's adventures, um, the, the Sword of Destiny actually is, is a collection that was meant to be together and is actually setting up the story that goes into the novels. Um, so there's more of a, a direct line that runs through the stories, especially um, The Bounds of Reason, Shard of Ice, uh, Sword of Destiny, and something more. Um, I think we referred to both Eternal Flame and A Little Sacrifice as being sort of DLC stories, but 
even then he does kind of um, make references to sort of Geralt thinking about his relationship with Yennefer or trying to process his relationship with Yennefer or uh, Dandelion not approving of it. Um, so there is more of a, a thread through the whole s- collection. Um, yeah, it's not so much anyway. Monster of the Week as the previous stories had been. Um, although it still does have that format of here's something happening, here's Geralt being subjected to it and working his way through, but there are still themes that are clearly consistent. And um, yeah, as you mentioned, it's largely, which is the theme of the entire series as a whole is his reconciling his relationship with Yennefer at any one given period of time with what's going on around him. I think um, let's so going through the stories, you know, you've bounds of reason. That's what one's that again? <laughs> is that, <laughs> that the is li- dragon hunt one? The dragon hunt, yeah, of course, yeah. Yes, and I think that is is fitting. Really, is it opens it opens the series with um, Geralt um, basically getting back together with Yennefer. <laughs> well, yeah, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah, because um, it's 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 quite. Um, jarring in a sense because um the last wish ends with the last wish right mm. um which is which is our sort of yeah um so the last wish ends with the last wish so when we start reading sort of destiny the last thing we had from Geralt and Yennefer was them getting together and it being perfect and beautiful um and then it's this fairy tale ending and then um the bounds of reason gives us a pretty heavy dose of reality which is that two very damaged people have a hard time making it work um and so the, the bounds of reason of course gives us its its own happy ending of Geralt and Yennefer getting back together after seeing that they, they might lose each other um do I hear some wistfulness in your voice of the fact that we have any witcher lore at all after the last wish like because you seem almost sad that the series didn't just end with Geralt together. It didn't just end together. on that perfect fairy tale ending. Um, I mean, cut that there. Now, now we're going to tell the story of a completely other Witcher, <laughs> Gerald, just... Gerald of Devia, with a with a J and a D, um, of oh, Lyria. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I swear Katie's trolling me, but they constantly say Gerald. <laughs> that's 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 the usual troll way of calling him, yes. Um yeah, okay, there was a slight bit of wistfulness because of course, um obviously there's the interstitials in the last wish that do tell us that Geralt and Yen sort of had a had a falling out. But the stories themselves leave it on that note of of them being together and then you kind of get yeah like um slapped with reality the start of thousands of reason Geralt's off having dragon foursomes and um <laughs> Gens telling him off for having walked out on her <laughs> like it's just like, this is something that yeah it's never really touched on again in the books like we don't, don't like that uh, Geralt's a shagger but he has a foursome with a dragon in two, like, warrior Yeah, women. it's kind of just passed over. We never talk about it again. Like... 
Well, the thing is, I think it's interesting <laughs> as well. Um, like because, um, like, like I mean, if seriously it does tie into something like quite fascinating, which is this this anthology in particular is is very ambiguous about about how exclusive Geralt and Yed actually are, even when they are together. Like, quite. Like, 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 okay, so, like, obviously, right, like, 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 they clearly are on some level, because, um, everything that Yen does with his thread is framed as a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, but, but, but also, like, 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 I don't even know how to put it, but, like, it's also treated in a weirdly casual way, like, like, specifically, especially, uh, like, a lot of Yen's behavior around the story with his thread. Um, it's kind of mm. underexplored. I mean, I guess it is because, like, you know, of the entire thing where, like... I mean, they're kind of just, like, regularly horrible to each other and cheat on each other, so... Yeah. Like... Well, I think there's like, I think there's two things there, and I think I understand what you mean, because it isn't quite clear whether they're exclusive or not, and the thing with Istrid is treated as a betrayal, as you say. But I think there's something that Istrid says that Geralt never disagrees with him on, where Istrid's kind of like, look... I know there's others, you know there's others, but you're the only real comp. Like Estrid saying to Geralt, but you're the only real competition. Yeah, you're the only. Other yeah, that that really as loves. well. Right. I I was I was trying to actually get to that point. Like like yeah. it, I had for- briefly forgotten. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Like mm-hmm. so, they were both aware that the end was also sleeping with other people as well. So mm-hmm. like. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know if to treat that as like you know, because I mean. I don't, I, you know, on the, on the one hand, like, to some degree, you could argue that it doesn't matter, but I think, I think it's interesting to explore the degree to which, like, Geralt's, like, mental status in such a shitter, like, during these stories, <laughs> that he just goes away with, like, situations that he's, un- he goes along with situations that he's uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, because, like, 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 is it, is it a case of, like, Geralt knows and Yed knows that they sleep around on each other, and that's fine. You know that that like they're romantically exclusive, mm-hmm. and that's why Istred is the only real betrayal, which is you know legit. That's that's a model that you know works for plenty of people when it comes to their relationships. Um, basically, like, do they have an open relationship, or is it more a case of like Geralt knows that she's cheating on him regularly, so he does it as well. <laughs> But, but I was gonna say, but but like he is so broken that he can't even like say anything about it, like. Mm. You know, I which, kind of tend you know, to read it. That boy as, has issues. I mean, that boy has issues, but I think we also have to read it in the context of them both being not not immortal. They do age and die eventually, but you know, like so far beyond like the human concept of like. Yennefer, age. yes. Geralt, I think, is, is strongly implied anyway, will right? still die at about at about about a hundred or fifty or so. I always thought it was a little longer than that. I mean, they never they never specify because whenever they're asked about it, like in universe, um, the answer is well, no Witcher has lived to die of old age to find out. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably true. Like, yeah, like, Geralt's probably one of the last surviving, cutting around by the time the books end. Yeah, and I mean, you have to remember that by the time the books end, he isn't actually that old. He's only, like, 50-something? 60? Like... Yeah, in the games, like, like, they like, refer like, to him being, like, a century old, or near about. 
Um, like, yeah, like, yeah, Vesemir makes a joke about how he's approaching a century. Like, Vesemir, like, is definitely, like, in the books, a hundred fucking years old. <laughs> like, um, and, and holding up quite nicely. Um, but we never see witchers that are, like, really, really extraordinarily old, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out how old Vesemir was, and, like, the internet has a wild range of age guesses. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, there's just, like, yeah, cause there's just, like, oh, like, I think I think he was over 100, but, like, I just, like, there's just no, there's no, yeah. There's no way to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I get what you mean. I get what you mean still, that, like, especially Yen has a very a very different conception of like time than people exactly typically yeah. do and i mean like even if Geralt would only live to be like at most say 150 like he's like in his 60s and he's like a prime reasonably sort of young side of middle-aged healthy looking person at that age not like a going into decrepitude yeah. um so like they have a different conception of like time and age and lifespans i think that does something to your idea of like one person only i figure yeah like like i can imagine when your part romantic partners who are humans literally just you know are liable to die before you even you know yeah it's it's like less interesting to me like philosophically and more just like I'm, i'm just kind of wondering like what degree of pain is our boy operating under here because that yeah that boy suffers a lot like, yeah, I mean, like regularly, and like, and like with a very stoic, take and take it on the chin kind of mentality. So, and he isn't even like physically in... disabled by this point in the books yet. He's still, you know, in good shape. He hasn't had the shit beaten out of him by Vilgefortz and anything. So he's still on a sort. He's got a different perception of mortality and all that kind of thing. I would guess. Uh, you know, yeah. after the whole Vilgefortz thing, you have to imagine that fundamentally would change your perception of your body and how you live and your place mm-hmm. within it. And I think, um, I mean, what's interesting is in A Shard of Ice, just like on this on this topic, I mean, like, there is the, the, the thing with Istred where, like, they both basically agree with each other that they're the only real rivals for Yen's heart and the other stuff doesn't, I mean, again subconsciously we don't know what level of pain he's suffering on but consciously he's saying yeah kind of agreeing with history that the other people don't matter but then he does have that moment when she uses the um viagra spell on him mm. he has this moment of like having to put out of his mind the thought of how many times she's used that with how many people mm. so there is at some level something that um is bothering him about both her age and her um sort of other partners would you say that like Geralt is 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 facing the challenges of dating a significantly significantly older woman like significantly like, older and more experienced woman <laughs> yeah like like Geralt Geralt is basically is basically just experiencing like the the dilemma of being of being a cougar's boy twin. <laughs> yes precisely <laughs> um but on this idea of of mortality i mean i think that there is something there as well like i mean okay so they lived together for a few years between the last wish and the bounds of reason and then Geralt walks out on her because as he says in the interstitials in the last wish she was getting too clingy or whatever right mm. um, <laughs> yeah 
Which is like, Sapphire, that's so shitty. Come on, come up with something better. I'm just going to have to headcanon that that's the reason he's saying, but it has more to do with his like overall trauma. Um, well, it generally does, right? Like, I yeah. mean, uh, like, like at risk of being very controversial on this on this here podcast, like, <laughs> people people don't have attachment issues unless they have issues. Like, well, yes. in general. Right out in balloons, baby. <laughs> I mean, attachment issues tend to cause other issues. It's, it's just a whole circle yeah. of issues. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not like generally there aren't self-reinforcing patterns at work, right? Yes. Um, but then, like, what, basically what forces them back together is, like, both almost dying in this stupid dragon hunt. Yeah. And, like, I don't know if that was a moment where they both had to be, like, oh, shit, like, I might be living to 150 and being sort of, like, young and healthy for a significant amount of that time, and she might be virtually immortal, but, like, actually, our time is limited. That's actually a fair point. Um, You know, I I didn't really consider that, but, like, that's entirely possible. I mean, whether whether by authorial intent or sheer accident, but there definitely can be something read into it of, like these are two people who are forced to face their own mortality at the same time. Yes, who previously had reason to not have to think about it as much as the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually think that it might really definitely have done something for Geralt, because, like, you see like, it's from this point that, like, um, it's from A Sword Destiny and later on that he starts really brooding on the topic of um... I'm a witcher, we all die before our time, I'm not meant to have a normal life. He gets into grunge. Like... <laughs> he gets into grunge, yeah. Like, um... <laughs> like, 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 it might well be, you know, um, I mean, a combo of this and the fact that then things collapse with Yennefer again in quite a dramatic way with the, with the entire Istred story. Yes, but just as they were getting back together. Because, like, he, sim- he simultaneously processes his own mortality, um, like, and is suddenly reminded, oh, right, if wi- witchers die when they get slow, um, like, and at the same time, you know, um, then the one thing that he's sort of clinging to to have a normal life is pulled out under, uh, like, from him, from under him. Mm. Hmm. I think so. I'm just trying to remember if he references Siri at all, or is that just the show? I think it's just the show because I don't think there's much reference to Siri until uh, Sword of Destiny. Yeah. Yeah. She, he does not reference Siri in the Dragonstone. Yeah, that's just the show. Yeah. So I think there's there's that that they that they have to because I mean like if you think you've got so much time. You can do stupid petty things like walking out because you feel like someone's clingy or whatever. Because you can always patch it up back later and you're not wasting time because time is long. Or you might just meet someone else. You know, there's lots of people. And... Yeah, but then suddenly being faced with your own mortality at the same time as the person. You're also being faced not just with your own mortality. But like, you can, I can imagine Geralt feeling like he has time to blow things off for a couple of years because Gen will live forever and he's never going to really lose her. Having this moment where they both sort of face their immortality in the in the dragon hunt 
realizing that he could actually she's not she she doesn't age but she's not immortal but yeah i mean on the topic of them them cheating on each other constantly or like sleeping with other people and, and not mattering but the emotional stuff mattering of course the only time yen gets really annoyed with gerald's behavior is the whole thing with tris right yeah which, by the way, is fascinating because, like, there was no emotional stuff there, like, on nope. his part. Nope. Kind of horribly the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but Triss clearly has emotional things for Geralt, so... And it's and it, it is worth noting, like, I mean, if we're talking about that, that, like, Yen is never, like, Yen is only weird to Geralt about it, like, exactly once in the games... Like mm-hmm. in the books, in the books, she just has a very stern conversation with Geralt. Sorry, with mm-hmm. Triss rather. Geralt yeah. raises that with Yen, like, um, and Yen just basically tells him to chill. It's none of your business. We just exchanged some words, and she understood. Like, like, like she never, she never, like you know. Is that horrible to Geralt about it? Actually, no. It's just like the only time she seemed concerned at all, basically. Yeah. Um, she doesn't seem to really care what he's up to otherwise. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, the theme. I think that she she does she does have the thing where she asks him, like, if he's been with other if he was with other women while they were apart. And then um, he says no, and then she says he's lying, and then he says, but I only thought of you, and then she says he's telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that that one's interesting to me as well, because... Um... I, re- I really don't think the whole thing with, um, with Frangilla was not magically induced. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like, how do I put this? Like, sorceresses in that world habitually do not understand consent. Yeah, and I mean, Frangilla was literally on a mission to keep him there as long as possible. I can't imagine she didn't like, do some like, things. Like, and, and, and look, and look, right, like, part of it, part of it is not, part of it is actually accidental by the offer, I'm almost certain, because, like, I actually think that, like, Sapic just didn't contemplate the possibility that, like, a violation of a man's consent is still a violation of consent, mm. but it did end up making basically every every powerful sorceress in the series at least a little bit rapey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, he sure did. Like, like, because even the end, even the end in this in this anthology. Um, let's yeah. talk about this. Why don't? We? Oh yeah, actually, like, we're talking about like, 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 like. <laughs> charms a boy and was about to about to have sex with him like that's explicitly stated in the text yeah it's just that Geralt runs into her path instead yes which thank god for Geralt accidentally happening to be there yeah. <laughs> like um but you know not great. I don't even understand yeah. why Yen charmed the boy. She's a beautiful woman, and they're at the belt. Yeah, like I'm, I'm genuinely perplexed. <laughs> like, 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 come on, Yen. Like, 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 you did not need to do that. Yeah, yeah, basically. But um, but that is actually interesting because they they they've broken up again at the point that um, this happens. Um, this happens in um in something more when Geralt's tripping out. Um, and flashbacking to the and having flashbacks yeah. and. 
one of his flashbacks is to to, to him re-encountering Yen just before just before the events of Sword of Destiny, I think. Right? No, not just before the events of Sword of Destiny. My bad. Um, just before the events, I guess, at the end of something more. Um, like and uh, like uh, Yen tells him at the end of that flashback to write to the go, Sintra. To go to Sintra, so which is then so right that before is, the that start is of actually a, a, at least a couple of years before the events of Sword of Destiny. Because in the next flashback, he then writes the Sintra. And sees yes. Calanthe before he knows that Calanthe's grandchild is a granddaughter. That's right. Okay, so it has to be just yeah, sometime before Sword of Destiny. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So he has a flashback to that. So with that, we know that Geralt and Yen have broken up again. Um. And they meet up again at the Beltane fires. And this is another like thing about them not really caring about the 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 constant sleeping with other people when they're broken up or together. I guess because like. Their reaction is kind of like, oh, well, you were going to sleep with that girl, but then she saw your eyes and didn't want to, and you were going to sleep with that guy, but... To I be fair, in that you. case, they, they had been completely broken up. I think that's actually very healthy, like, yeah. either way. <laughs> like, like the way they the way they just do not seem to have any, like, you know, weird fucking <laughs> controlling what you did outside the relationship jealousies. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> um, Facebook status, it's but, complicated. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it really is. Like that is that is their relationship. <laughs> like, why? This is the thing that I know. This is somewhat off tangent, but why does that exist, or why did it? I've exist? always wondered about that, and I really do not. Because know. for a while, like yeah. Facebook had like in an open relationship or whatever. Yeah, fine, cool, whatever. That's that's still there. Yeah. So, but I it's complicated. Seemed exclusively to be used by people who were in the process of a divorce or in a very messy breakup. <laughs> that's what you'd think right yeah like like yeah. like the, the thing is as well is that like i know people who who switched their statuses at one point or other to that and why look if 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 anyone who did that is listening could you please at us we would love <laughs> yeah. to hear your story yeah i would really love um, to hear why you're advertising on facebook that your status is it's complicated my relationship is falling apart <laughs> <laughs> we won't judge you, we just want to know. <laughs> like Yeah. Yeah. Please explain to us why do you thought why do why did you think why do you thought why did you think um that that your relationship was comparable to Geralt and Yen that was simultaneously a disaster and worth publicizing. <laughs> a slow moving decade long disaster. <laughs> I think um, trade wreck in slow motion. I think that's why, like you know, b- moving through the chronology of the story, like skip Eternal Flame as a story, as we say, it's a D- it's a DLC story that's character building more than anything else. But a little sacrifice is, you know, it it seems prima facie to be, you know, just a DLC story, but it's actually about commitment and you know the nature of relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's all about, you know, the sacrifices you make to sustain complicated relationships. Um, which in these torrid times is more relevant than <laughs> ever, really. And especially it's yes. relevant to Geralt and um, Yennefer. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, th- yeah, that's the thing. Like, it feels like a DLC story. Um, but um, it, it's sort of interesting that it comes right after Eternal Flame, which is absolutely a DLC story where we shoehorn in a few references to how rocky his relationship with Yennefer was. So even then, like, even the, the least related to anything story is a little bit 
referencing at least that relationship. But then, yeah, as you say, um, a little sacrifice um, being both thematically about um, yeah, the sacrifices that it takes to maintain a, a complicated relationship, but also um, even just in terms of, of the plot, it is about Geralt having this like perfectly wonderful um, girl who's written to be basically anything anyone could want. She's beautiful, she's clever, she's talented, she's multilingual, she's she's in love with him and he but she's can't not feel mm. yeah. and he can't feel anything for her because she's not Yennefer. That is that is this actually like to some degree, I mean with the exception of Sword of Destiny and something more, which are very much setups for series story, mm-hmm. first of all. The running theme of Sword of Destiny before anything else is Geralt and Yen's relationship. Yeah, even when we venture into DLC stories. It is it is the way that relationship has completely colored his life. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's like, it's actually, I mean, it's obviously entirely accidental because The Last Wish was such a constructed anthology. Um, but it's, it's a really nice way how, like, through The Last Wish we constantly see um... If you if you forget the interstitial bits for a little bit, but if you just take the short stories, through the last wish we constantly see Geralt facing various trials in his life, sorta alone most of the time, and that the last story is the last wish, and we meet Yennefer, and then Sword of Destiny is kinda never the same, like 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 Geralt's life in Sword of Destiny is kind of never the same because it's constantly coloured by his experience with Yennefer. Mm. Yes. Yeah, everything he does from The Last Wish onwards is, is, is yeah, colored by, by that experience. And yeah, it is interesting that he's never alone in that. That's actually, I think, a really um, important insight because, I mean, in The Last Wish, um, and again, just the stories for discounting the interstitials, we've got um, the edge of the world where he's with Dandelion and then The Last Wish, he's with Dandelion again and meets Yennefer, but otherwise... Like he's he's quite alone. Otherwise, and... those those short stories do center on him, mm-hmm. um, first of all. But in Sword of Destiny, they no longer do. They now center on the social relationships that he has with people. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why good fantasy is good, and good sci-fi is good when it focuses on the human elements of the story that are facilitated by the yeah. weirdness of the world. Like, you could only tell a love story like Geralt and Yennefer because they live for centuries in really strange circumstances. And that's why it's... That's why I love fantasy and (laughs) sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it it would be so hard to tell the story about about people who who drifted in and out of each other's lives, but in a way that is permanent and unavoidable if they didn't have the time to do that. You know that entire genre of romantic stories that basically come down to, you know, like... um, like like they drifted out in, the, in and out of each other's lives until it was too late mm. yeah. this is the thing about Geralt and Yennefer to some degree until it was too late is not a real consideration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's both a relief and creates a very interesting dynamic that would not exist otherwise yeah totally because like yeah. in real life you know, in real life, you know if you have say a one-two-year relationship that ends badly or complicatedly, that's a significant chunk of your life. Like, you know, without 
going into gory details or anything, but I, you know, I obviously at the start of this year went through breakup after a nigh on two year breakup. Haha, <laughs> same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at that point, and I was like, what, 28 or something? Two, about two years was, you know, about 10% of my adult life. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. a big chunk of what shapes your character and going forward that still is in your mind um you know for good or ill you remember parts of it and it shapes your experience with other relationships um whereas obviously that's not a thing for these characters that's just a two-year relationship to them is well you know Geralt gets a contract sticks around a village for a while it's nothing to him um yeah like Geralt's what 60 when he meets Yennefer it's something like that she's she's a cradle snatcher right enough <laughs> I'd but, say probably about forty, but yeah, 40. yeah. So he's he's like a full on adult, um, you know, a couple of years here and there when he knows he's got so much more time. And, and again, it's it's not even so much, it's not even so much the the lifespan as that he's, from what I understand. Um, I know he ends up aging quite badly because of the stuff that happens to him in Baptism of Fire slash End of Time of Contempt. Um, but it, it, he's realistically expected to not age terribly through that period mm. and to stay fit and healthy. Whereas for us, like, I mean, okay, so I'm I'm 36, which means I'm sort of like approaching middle age. But like, you've got kind of kind of 20 like good years between about 20 and 40 where you're like young and vital and healthy and you're not expecting to pick up any injuries and, and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and um losing a couple of those years as you say can feel like a lot mm-hmm. compared to you know however long carol and yennefer have so then we got um so after we've got a little sacrifice you know we move on to the the titular story the sword of destiny which um I think this wasn't brilliantly handled in the TV series, in so far as no, yeah. no. In, the fact, the fact that like the the storyline of Sword of Destiny does not happen in the TV series is understandable because of how the TV series went about it. Mm. I get, it. and they would have had to cast like a child series, and yeah, I I get it. I do get it. Yeah. Um, I mm-hmm. just think that um. Um, like I, I do not blame them for trying to make the best of like a complicated situation, a complicated line to adapt. But it does make Siri and Geralt's meeting at the end of the narrative that was converted into the last two episodes so much weaker. Yeah, it it lacks a lot of the yeah. punch. Like for the for a lot of people, the most significant part of the meeting is when Siri asks, "Who's Yennefer?" Whereas for anyone else, it's this overarching, predestined thing with like you know two, two different child of destiny sort of nar- uh, sorry, what's it called? Chi- um, law of surprises. Child of surprise. Yes, yeah. two of them, and the whole world starting to coalesce around this meeting, and then it's like yes, they've done it. But in the TV series, it was kind of like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I mean. Like, yeah, because I mean the book because they had that meeting in 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 the story of Sword of Destiny, where and where you have like this sense that uh, of how quickly Ciri's taken to him and how how they are clearly destined to be together and can't deny this and how ridiculous it is that girls denying their destiny and Ciri's like intense distress when he tries to leave, because you've already had that when they get back together at the end of something more, 
it, it feels weighty. And especially because, like, you see the pain of Geralt being convinced she's died. Whereas, yeah. whereas I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that Henry Cavill's Geralt feels any, like, greater amount of pain at that than, like, sort of generalized guilt. Because he'd never met the kid. Yes. Yes, whereas in the stories, he's clearly already formed a bond with her, even if he's trying to deny it. I mean, they form um, a bond instantly in the books when they first meet yeah, in the forest. I, I, yeah. I, I, I saw lots of people, lots of people tweeting like some, like like you know when they watch the TV series stuff along the lines of, um, the makers of the show sincerely overestimated how much I would care about Siri, and then like you know not like edge lords but like normal people. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like like and 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 I mean I, I I understand why why you would react that way if you'd watched only the TV series because um. If I'm being real here, yeah, I mean, like, like I again, I I see what they were trying to do, but I think Siri's narrative in the that first season ends up slightly weaker than it could have been. Um, and to be fair, so or rather, not, not that it could have been, but like slightly weaker than it is in the books. As a result, I think this is the harshest thing they'll say about the TV series, though. To be fair, and it's it's basically the only criticism we really have. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> otherwise, otherwise we are we are we are here for you, Lauren, one hundred percent. Keep up the good work. Uh, um, yes, and very excited about season two. I assume. And um, like we to, were... again, to be totally honest, I can't even say that this is a criticism because, like, while I, like, I mean, like, isn't when I, 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 I do struggle to think how they could have adapted it. The film. Yeah, it was, it's it's not that the source material isn't great and it's not what comes out of it's not great it's just that it's a really com difficult it's, story to adapt it's very it's very difficult to adapt yeah. yeah because yeah i honestly think it's a miracle that the ad adaptation went as well as it did because of how extremely difficult the source material is <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah you've got 10 different timelines and all all manner of characters coming together through really convoluted means it's plus the source material isn't written in chronological order Honestly, the f this is the thing, right? Like the only way I could imagine uh, an adaptation could have gone differently was actually to do two seasons instead of one um, for the narrative that the first season is. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't and imagine. Yeah, like I, I, I literally just can't imagine Netflix signing off on that. Like, I can't imagine like, Netflix signing um, off on it, and I can't imagine people who didn't read the stories thinking. Like that, the last there, wish there would be there would be a very 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 strong lack of a sort of a solid narrative yeah. for the last wish, um, yeah. and because there isn't one, yeah, <laughs> um, they would have had to do the like, interstitials and like, <laughs> like it would have been. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the interstitials are definitely definitely skippable. And look, like, you know, the main the main issue the main the main issue that it would have been would have been that like you can absolutely make a tv series like that the issue that like it would have been there would be a very very like dramatic stylistic change between the first and the second seasons like you yeah. would we would we would instantly move from a kind of star trek tng um like every every episode is a separate story mm -hmm. um model to suddenly this becoming one narrative yeah so I honestly, like, I, I agree that, um, well, the episode that 
covered the Sword of Destiny source material, as in the story Sword of Destiny source material, didn't have the emotional heft of the story. I think but I also as can't we're see all how agreeing, they, could they did have, the best they so, possibly could have. Exactly, yeah. Like 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 this this is not a criticism. This is more just an acknowledgement that it's hard to adapt material. Yeah. Especially material that is non chronological and messy and written individually yeah. as stories and like because that that is the dilemma, right? Like, um it's that um for Sapkowski's works to really really truly make sense the short stories are essential but the short stories are not one narrative whereas the novels are so you <laughs> so it's a messy thing to adapt yeah yeah i think one again i i will i will say i will say this like um while you guys while you guys like flinched when i said that like that like i initially hadn't read the short stories and started with Blood of Arms. <laughs> I will once again restate that that is not actually the worst way to read the, read these works. <laughs> yes, there would there there will be lots of stuff you don't understand, but like first of all, that happens in fantasy anyway. When you flip open a fantasy novel, there's lots of names that are suddenly dropped on your head <laughs> and and you have no idea who these people or places are. So you just go with it. So I just went with it as well. Yeah, that's a fair like, comparison. I think that's pretty <laughs> endemic to fantasy as a genre, isn't it? The suspension of disbelief yeah. is a prerequisite. <laughs> it's essential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, like, you open the first book of A Song of Ice and Fire and you're, like, with some random beyond the wall being, like, chased down by, like, like whites. And you've my, got no idea my, what the hell is going on. You've got to absorb all of that right away. My first... My first... Uh, words when I read the like like that first like prologue of a Game of Thrones were actually, man, this this book series sure ripped off Dragon Age. <laughs> <laughs> not being aware that it was written in like 1992. Yes, and not being aware that actually is like extremely deliberately the other way around. Yes. Like 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 Dragon Age was extremely famously inspired by A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, like yes, I mean obviously the narrative is completely different, but like, um, like 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 the way they approach things and the the way the first game is set in a very obvious medieval England XP, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> like and 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 the way that there's a sword called Oathkeeper that you oh. can receive early oh. on in the game, it's oh the dear. first named sword you can get. And there's the um, nooks where they decide, oh look, there's a, a rampaging plague of monsters coming. Should we have a civil war or should we deal with them first? <laughs> and, the, and they go, yes, we should absolutely have a civil war. <laughs> Dragon Age Origins is is uh, it's basically a much cheerier a song of ice and fire the other games deliberately become much more original but like the first one is <laughs> is basically a cheery a song of ice and fire ironically the first one is the best and most interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> um to be you fair, don't know that we have fair, a dragon age 2 stand on the podcast here 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 we stand dragon age 2 which is an excellent game we are <laughs> If you, I am ready for us to get cancelled for saying this <laughs> on a, on a podcast episode. At me well, if you want to argue. I will. Right. I, mean, I got controversially. I'm not sure there's a better introduction to a fantasy story ever than, in the hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. Yes. Yeah. Which, by the way, drops a thing on you, 
Like, like that's that's what fantasy does. It 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 drops things on you. So like in a similar way, like like when I started reading Blood of Elves, I actually did not find it confusing because it's a it's a coherent narrative right from the beginning. Um, however, um, it is a is a is a much less weighty narrative, without everything to do with the with the law of surprise. And Siri and how she's tangled up in that, and like all of Yennefer and Geralt's relationship prior to the prior to the novels. What I will say for the show as well is that um, Lauren's initial pitch was to start with Lady of the Lake. Uh, so okay. her initial pitch was she wanted to cast. Um, I think the idea was she was going to cast um, two series. She was going to cast a like child Siri and well, not child but like you know 12 year old or whatever Siri mm. and a child Siri and a, and a like 18 yeah not like not like six year old Siri or something but like a 12 year old yeah. Siri and like a sort of 18 year old Siri and she was going to start it with Siri and Galahad and have the whole story be Siri telling Galahad her story mm-hmm. okay yeah, yeah I think you mentioned this before yeah that's that would have been cool I would have liked that yeah so Siri was always going to be the central focus of her story like she said her vision for doing the witcher was that she just wanted to find like an amazing and i mean um freya allen is an amazing siri so like she mm. did that she wanted to just yeah, find yeah. an amazing siri and build the whole story around her which yeah. is what the later novels are so yeah and she is a good child actor um she captures I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm 19 i think i'm not actually imagining when that was filmed i'm not ac- I'm now actually imagining, you know, an alternate universe, um, like, um, like, like, like adaptation of these books, which the fanboys would have hated. They would, they would have despised completely. But uh, like, I'm, I'm like having fun imagining it, which is one where uh, Siri is not only central, but Siri is the only main character. Um, <laughs> like, 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 yes. like, 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 it starts with. Um, Siri as a child, like meeting Geralt for the first time, like um, after she's been told all this shit about how she's promised to someone by the law of surprise, mm-hmm. like and Geralt is merely a secondary character in a story that is extremely via Siri. Siri is the only POV character. Well, if it was going to be Siri telling her story to Galahad, that's probably what would have happened. I think one thing I really like, sometimes I think stories of, you know, predestined one characters, you know, the whole fate of the world rests on one guy doing a thing, sometimes grates with me a little bit, especially in computer games, because it just feels like, bleh. And I like stories where it feels like a character is just caught caught in a world that they have little control over yeah and that's why i, I think i like yeah. the witcher series so great because Geralt obviously is he can he's affecting the world but in little ways he's just caught in a storm it's siri who's the main it's character. more relatable yes exactly yes. like yeah. um like so like, it's like, quite cool that the story is about Geralt, the person who is caught in this storm of or what is it that um it's like what nenica says to him that he's got like um you know she can she can see that there's something that, that 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 he's caught in and wants to do trans to figure it out. Um, it he or, or, or even more dramatically, like um, <laughs> um, 
the 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 sword of destiny has two edges one is you and the other is death like yeah. like he's he goes everywhere and disaster follows and it's not because of him per se it's because he is just trying to fucking navigate this while shit keeps collapsing on his head which you know yeah. is it just just feels really relatable in the world of 2020. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. He is caught up in things that are larger than him that he cannot control, and that yes feels very, very relatable this year. Yeah, like, and I think I think it's really, really fascinating, precisely because like Siri is, you know, the legendary hero of prophecy, so to speak. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. like all this destiny shit, um, circles around her, um, mm. and Geralt is, but Geralt is simultaneously the main character of the series and only a secondary character in Siri's story. Does that feel... There's, that just makes me think about the Lord of the Rings where all of the, 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 the re- returning heroic king and, and, and all of that stuff, that's, that's all... That's Aragorn's story. He's the one with the great lineage and the great destiny. Um, and the hobbits are just like little people who got caught well, up in it. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, I think Lord of the Rings might not actually be the best comparison because I would say that, like, despite the fact that he is the great heroic king, Aragorn is the secondary story. The yes, primary again. story still is yeah. the destruction of the ring, and that, yes. in that sense, Frodo, while an ordinary person, is mm-hmm. the only person who can do it. Um, yes. Like I think, I but, but I think, but I think, that... but I think it's interesting you brought Lord of the Rings up specifically because. I did always find that fascinating, that that entire, like, the narrative that, like, um, shall we say, would be likable and relatable to a lot of, like, um, fans of more, like, um, you know, boyish old-style um, King Arthur-type fantasy of, of the great king returning to his realm, like, is secondary. It is seen as not so important um, mm-hmm. as the great battle between light and dark spiritually over the fate of that yeah, world. Yeah, the, the, the return of the king mm-hmm. is just affects the realms of men, but it doesn't affect like the world itself. <laughs> yes, yeah. like Which the actual the like ordinary... metaphysical fate of the world. <laughs> Which is up to the two most ordinary like nobodies from nowhere that aren't even mentioned in the like list of like the races of like the yeah like like, like the, the people the people don't, don't know they exist, exist. Yeah, like so like you're not even on our list of living species <laughs> <laughs> you're not real you have no documents you're stateless though i think it's this is another reason um, why i like, like dragon age one so much um because it ties into that like you in that story, you are just a guy, or you know, you, a lady yeah, who's just swept you, up in this stuff. Uh, you know, the story is kind of about Alistair. Um, spoiler alert! You know, I mean, he, he the reason him being a king potentially, and you know, getting yeah. becoming a Grey Warden is so important, is because the, the Grey Wardens need to exist to kill the Archdemon, and that's why it's got pathos. It's not that he's predestined by the world and anything to do it. It's just the circumstances of. Conf- created this situation. I can't remember I can't remember where I watched this. I genuinely can't, but I actually I, I distinctly remember that I either either watched or listened to something about how um chosen one stories, like stories where there is a chosen hero. Like 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 like, like Legends of Zelda and stuff. Um 
Legend of Zelda, um, Star Wars, <laughs> Harry Potter, mm. um, like... So I'm just um, laughing because um, we just got Top starting play Breath of the Wild last night. What is it you it said? Was re- it, was, it was really fun. <laughs> and um, when I said, when I was explaining about Link and Zelda being just like perpetually reincarnated when they're needed, you said what, like, that sounds bleak as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was my entire response. Like, like that's a really good response. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, like, but you know, no, it it was really bleak as shit. I'm not gonna lie. Like, like to me personally, like because I just started thinking about like, imagine if you're trapped in this fucking endless cycle of destiny. You're never allowed to live your own fucking life. You're just duty bound to save the world every time like well that's entirely but... they decided to start exploring that in age of calamity which is the one paul and katie are playing where like zelda's just wants to do science and like her dad is like no you're the chosen fucking <laughs> princess who has to like have the power of the goddess to seal evil takes away her toys tells her to stop doing science and get training in the temple god damn it like <laughs> dad <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're trying like, to sell um, her basically yeah i mean the, this is this is the interesting thing, but like basically, what, what I was gonna say is like most stories that have an explicitly defined chosen one um, fall into one of three categories. One, they're bad, um, like actually from a narrative standpoint. Um, like two, they subvert that, like The Witcher, where Siri as the um, chosen one so to speak of prophecy eventually just just goes you know what fuck you all <laughs> i leave like <laughs> i cannot be bothered with this shit anymore <laughs> like like city just leaves that's subversion that's very good like imagine <laughs> imagine like i mean like honestly the witcher would have been an infinitely weaker story if at the end of the day she actually succumbed to one of those various factions that basically in one way or another when you think about it we're plotting for her to fulfill her destiny yeah and a very yeah. deterministic um, universe remember this is a super deterministic yeah. universe like it's it's such a super deterministic universe and despite that it turns out that the fate always was that actually the death the, the prophecy is not fulfilled like she leaves the third one is, of course, like stories like Star Wars and Harry Potter that are good. But they're not really good because we enjoy chosen one narratives, are they? Like, 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 um, the Star Wars original trilogy, for instance, actually isn't even an especially good example of this because we don't know that Luke's the chosen one. And so far, the, the, the charm of the original trilogy is that Luke is actually just this normal guy. Like, well, the thing that's um, what makes the prequels really much more interesting than the sequels is because it's the story of the chosen one failing, completely failing, um, and yeah. becoming the the grand, yes. the big bad. Like the, the prequels yeah. are really narratively yeah, interesting and cool. Watching the prequels again, yeah, and, yeah. Or like, or like you know, if you take if you take Harry Potter, mm. um, which I mean, to be clear, this is an anti JKR podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, um, but, but 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 like like absolutely fuck you but like um <laughs> but 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 um like you know when i was a kid i enjoyed it right like but but who could really say that what they enjoy about harry potter is the chosen one narrative 
Like, no, we like the world and the escapism and the magic and the school. Yeah, and, the appeal yeah. the appeal of Harry Potter is probably between like really locked in two things. One, people just want to go to a magical school, and two, <laughs> um, it does have you know some soft, nice messaging about how love is magical and can save the world. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a pity that like. Um, Instead of instead of preaching love, its offer turned out to be a massive hate. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's let's like, not forget people don't identify as as a Harry Potter or whatever they identify as a Gryffindor or, or whatever. Um, it's not the characters that are particularly yeah, they interesting. Yeah, it's the world. In the world. No, yeah. Well, to be to be fair, I do think that like people people like the characters. I just don't think I I think to the degree that like the chosen one narrative is interesting in Harry Potter. It's how Harry copes with it, mm. which is to say, generally not well. It's basically a massive fucking expectation placed on the teenage child that, like, you know, struggles with it. Actually, it causes him, yeah, it causes him literal um, pain just to exist. It causes him literal pain just to exist. It causes him rifts with his friends as he's super stressed about it in like the last book. Mm. Um, like, 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 it is, it is. It is a trauma, and although it's under, uh, it's it's badly underexplored because she's not a good writer. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, she just writes them this nice happy ending with all their families and their very traditional nuclear. Families. Yeah, in, in, in the actual in the actual reality, Harry is a massive fucking drug by the end of that story, who's like <laughs> barely coping with his PTSD from having witnessed wizard war at the age of seventeen. <laughs> You know what's actually it's... a really good... Did either of you guys ever read the Hunger Games books? Uh, no. I've only watched the first film. Ah, never mind then. They just, they deal with PTSD Spoil really them, well with the characters. Okay. At the end of it, um, the, the, the two characters who get together and have survived, their ending is like, you know, it, she, she gives them that like ending of like, you know, your YA romance ending, but they get together because they're the only people who can comfort each other when they wake up screaming in the night from their nightmares. Understandable. <laughs> like, she actually bothered to write characters who believably, like, had to figure out a reason to keep going. And... It's almost like there's a good way to write YA. <laughs> yeah. Let's just avoid YA Twitter, please. It's truly the worst place on earth. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, but yeah, like, I mean, uh, this, this is the thing. Um, chosen one narratives in themselves rarely if ever sell because actually people do not want to hear about special special goody two-shoes like magical fucking bloodline characters who are super special because they were born to be special i mean this is why the sequels of the star like like uh thanks jj abrams of the star wars films fucking suck in the end judgment because Ray turns out to be not like in any way a self-made hero but simply destined to be one by her blood also what's interesting about the Elder Scrolls series is a continuation of that and that Morrowind you're sort of you kind of become the chosen one you're not so you're not really the chosen one until you have to go through all these ordeals to sort of convince people you're the chosen one well you you have to prove yourself, yes. Like it, it it is it is interesting though because like 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 um um like you have to you have to basically prove that you are a reincarnation of this ancient hero, 
um, like, um, but but it's very interesting that you brought up Elder Scrolls because they do constantly. I mean, basically, the the model of every Elder Scrolls game centers around the hero, the hero being this era's chosen. I one. I would dispute that necessary to drive a story. I, um, Oblivion like, isn't really insofar as the chosen one is the king who dies at the start. You're kind of making up for well, that. You, like your story is like, driven by trying to fix the situation that's caused by the chosen one dying. It, eh, nah. Like, like, like you're 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 breathing way too hard. Into it, <laughs> like, like it's uh, there. If you if you go to if you go to the Elder Scrolls wiki, there is literally a page on the hero, mm. um, where it talks like thanks Michael Kirkbride um about how, um, like. The idea of a chosen one, of like a hero of the story, is literally hardwired into the rules of the universe, in the lore of Elder of, of Elder Oh, Scrolls. the Godhead and the Chim and all that, yeah. Yeah, it taps into all that bullshit that is just a fancy way to put. I have too much time on my hands. <laughs> um, like, um, I, I mean, like, I. Uh, my take on Elder Scrolls world building, if I'm being very, very generous here, is that like a lot of it is very genius, mm. and also that a lot of it is extremely unnecessary. I think the, <laughs> like, Elder, Scro um, the Elder Scrolls, the most interesting <laughs> thing about it is the Aedra and Daedra. Like, the demon lords are the coolest bit of the lore, I think. Yeah, but this is the thing. Some of the simpler things about the lore are the coolest bits, whereas all the weird shit like Chim <laughs> and the the bones of the earth and and the existence of a hard coded rule that there will emerge a hero um like for every story to fulfill every prophecy um are so fucking annoying like oh, you um, just why I fucking hate wheel of time <laughs> yeah i mean that's why we hate wheel of time but that said um like that that said it works for elder scrolls because it is a game series um, whose um, entire model is not so much selling you an interesting, relatable narrative as to be a cipher for you as the player to enter the world and kick about killing, you know, wolves and <laughs> um, minor Daedra and indigenous peoples. Um, <laughs> like, the reach for the Forsworn. <laughs> the reach for the Forsworn. Freedom, free um, Madonna. <laughs> Madenach did nothing wrong. Um, um, yeah, I think I think you've con you've convinced me, Dove. You've you've convinced me. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this is the thing. This is the thing. Like, like, like we continually see a situation where um, chosen one narratives are the most interesting when they play with, mm -hmm. not when they take them for for granted as such. Because again, who really likes the Wheel of Time? <laughs> Some of my old housemates, and yeah, that's yeah. There's a reason that it its TV series didn't go very well, and that it's not really become the cultural. It had a force, TV series. Um, they kept trying to make one, and it kept falling apart. Maybe it's because like most of it is literally just you know a very elaborate and misogynistic D and D campaign. I'm yeah, like I'm it it. If, we will have to do a whole other thing if we want to talk about how misogynistic it is because when i said that it was misogynistic um oh my god no apparently it's coming to amazon prime this year we should we should by the way absolutely like this is this is my hot take we should absolutely do um a bonus episode 
like see how you did feminist feminist film theory on on like on like the TV series. We should like like talk like about gender relations in the in the books as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, we can't like, we can't do a wrap up really episode cool. without mentioning um you know how it ends with Essie, the poor lass. Yes. Uh, yes. Oofed. Jesus. Okay, yeah, as we said in the, sh- the episode on that, that series, um, Essie deserved better. Um, it's... Oh, boy. Like, okay, so I came around on on, on A Little Sacrifice because I the first time I read it, I just, I just, I hated it. I hated it so much, but I was speed reading and I read it, like, right after I read um, um, a, a Shard of Ice. A Little Sacrifice really is, like... Um... How do you put this? It's it's one of those sh- it's one of those short stories which is like a lot like Star Wars in that like every time you watch it you notice something different. Um like yeah. so that that's how it felt for me as well. That like the first time I read it, um I like my main takeaway for instance was like extremely um dandelion. Please stop pushing them together. <laughs> it's it's going to like like your friend clearly just wants some peace and quiet, like and uh, and and your other friend is only going to get hurt from her exposure to this old man with the, the, you know seven different kinds of depression and PTSD, like mm-hmm. um, yeah. But then like then like you know like and yes I I agreed with you on like you know um. It being like really rather upsetting how like um, she died with clearly some unresolved feelings towards Geralt, but then like another time I fucking read it and I was like, eh. Then again, doesn't seem actually seem that bad. Um, mm-hmm. It's more just. So I think I think there's a matter of taking like a Watsonian or a Doyleist approach to this, right? Like from from. A Watsonian perspective, just like looking at it within the story, there's different ways to read her dying with the pearl from which she was never parted. Maybe that's just like her memory of this like beautiful beach vacation that was a lovely time before she died yeah, eternally yeah. of the plague and whatever. From a Doyleist perspective, from like Sapek, why did you do this? A writer choosing to kill a young woman and clearly writing her in and out of the story just to serve. Geralt's relationship issues and then die is just awful. Mm. Yeah. So Essie deserved better. <laughs> Essie deserved better, but it's also like, you know, complicated. Because it's like Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think I think it's 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 un- it's unquestionable that like Essie deserved better. Yes. Um but yeah, as you yeah. say, like it really depends on your kind of fucking mileage may vary perspective on it. Um, I mean, it really feels like a fridging, like a like I created this character just to to to, to provoke pain in um, my main character, and then because I can't think of a use for her otherwise, she must Andrzej die. Andrzej Sapkowski trying to make Geralt feel pain. <laughs> Why I never. Shocking, I tell you. Why I never. <laughs> but I mean, that's literally the definition of fridging, isn't it? Is killing killing a female character when she has no more use to your male characters or to give your male characters. No, like, yeah. Penis. I mean, the um, Witcher book series is a Rube Goldberg machine for inflicting pain on Geralt. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Oh God, it really is. 
Geralt is Geralt is just Angie's fucking like lab rat <laughs> for like casual <laughs> torture. Which is funny because that's something George R. R. Martin actually said about like Tyrion being his favorite character, and that's why he feels like he needs to hurt him so much. I mean, so. I'm not gonna lie. Like everything that George R. R. Martin says ever just freaks me super out. Like yeah. I don't think th- I don't. I I I mean, look, I'm not. I I'm not one to really judge people based on like, um, <laughs> uh, but like the shit they write. But the thing about, mm. like, you know, not not like not like not like in the in the I don't I don't think like. Uh, George R. R. Martin's writings, no matter how fucked up and nihilistic and hateful towards, um, like, um, you know, most things that are beautiful to basic humanity, they are. Um, <laughs> like, like I don't think there's anything wrong with him because of them. But then he says things. Yes, he does and say things. <laughs> you just listen to him and you go like, you're not well, my dude. Like, please get help. <laughs> Yeah. So we should possibly try to wrangle this back into some yeah. semblance of, of order. Yeah. Oh, the yeah, cat character no. is back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's a wrap up episode. We're allowed to we're allowed to freeform it. It's a wrap up. Ideas yeah. are getting a lot more freeform. Um, like like, but to go go back to fucking Sapic. Um. Yeah. Yep. It it does it does. Um, like, 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 he does love inflicting pain on Geralt, and it does feel like a fridging. Um, at yes. the bare minimum, you can raise some very serious questions about why she needed to fucking die. Yes. Like, could she not like, have just ridden off into the sunset? And I guess, I guess, I guess, he thought <laughs> that it was beautiful to once again emphasize the pearl as a motif. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Um, but, like, um,. Couldn't she I'm... have gotten a nice ending like Shani? Yeah. Well, the, the, was Shani's ending nice? That's debatable. Wasn't like... she the one that ended up going back and becoming like a lecturer and like running Rust... the She died school? because of the plague as well. And Rusty had, like, like, had to fucking carry her out of the... No, that wasn't Shani. Wait, no, that, that was the priestess. Shani goes yes, back and ends right. up running that's... the medical school yes, at that's true. That's true. That was Yola. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, Shani um, gets a nice ending. In that case, we also need to talk about how how, like he fridged Yola, who was also like um a very another much, girl Geralt chags another, another girl Geralt Geralt Chag. He just kills the women Geralt Chags. Like yeah. yes, okay, Shadi didn't die, um, <laughs> and Triss didn't die, unfortunately. Um. <laughs> I think Yola is less of a fridging because Yola went off to go like do the thing that was her life and she is a healer and she went and got together with another healer and died in the process of working with the sick like that wasn't yeah. a senseless pointless I guess. death I guess like, um, cause, like, also she was at least allowed to speak again before dying yeah. um. <laughs> like Yola dies doing the thing that she dedicated her life to yeah it's true. It's true. Like, yeah. at least, at least, if you're going to kill Essie, could you at least have her sing herself to death? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> or give, like, have some person put a weird curse on her such that she loses her voice. Like, if she sings, she dies, and 
she's cursed with silence <laughs> and she thinks, no, I'm going to, I, if I'm going to die, I'm, just, I'm going to die like I'm this. Just, and she I'm sings just picturing an also very Anjay fucking ending where somebody per puts a curse on her voice. So, so like, it turns raspy and she can no longer sing. So, she, so, she <laughs> so she's forced into retirement and in order to survive, she has to sell the peril that Geralt gave her. And that's the end. That's the story. We depart. <laughs> That is the most Sapak ending it could have been. That's more Sapak than well, her dying. <laughs> I don't know how far you're in The Witcher 3, Erin, but um, I'll just say one word to to um, Dove here, which is uh, Priscilla. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. I'm not that far. Yeah, uh, Priscilla. That's all I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and that was definitely a very fucking weird storyline as well, because, um, I mean, I actually think that's our, you know, certain purposes, because... It teaches Dandelion to care about people again. But, like, um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, yeah. um, we'll talk about it when we talk about the games. Yes. Yes, um, which will be far in the future. Hopefully, we'll have many seasons of the TV show. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, yes, so what do we want to wrap up with? I think we've, we've kind of covered all of them. No, I think we've covered all of them, really. Yeah, yeah, we didn't really talk about Eternal Flame, but there's not much to talk about in Eternal Flame. It's just a fun little story. Yeah. We see Novigrad in it, which is nice, I guess. We see Novigrad, and we set up some of the, the, the tension between, like, the human religious authorities and non-humans. Um, but that's kind of about it. But I think maybe we can just wrap up on sort of projecting into um, uh, Blood of Elves a little bit. So, oh, and, and of course, we solved our, we solved our great mystery in um, Sword of Destiny. Sword of Destiny is when witchers finally get cat eyes. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes, it's explicitly stated. Yes. So the, it's explicitly stated in... There's a couple places where it's explicitly stated that there's something weird with his eyes, but it doesn't become like someone saw his eyes and freaked out until, um, until something more. Mm. It's mentioned twice in something more. Once when he's at the Beltane fires and the girl sees his eyes and sort of freaks out and runs away. Yes. And then again, when he does the, like, how do you like my eyes mm. to Vicenna. Yeah. So that seems to be, like, he'd been sort of Guys. playing with it a little bit. Sorry? Okay, so so we finally solved our great mystery, which is the cat eyes. Um, and then, um, yeah, so obviously we get a bit of um, the development of Geralt's relationship with Ciri, which we talked about. Um, and then something more ends just like the show does with um, Geralt and Ciri being reunited with um, each other thanks to Yorga and his kind wife. Um, and um, that brings us to the end of, of Sword of Destiny. And um, we're really excited to um, next time start talking to you about um, Blood of Elves where um, it goes from being the um, short stories, short stories um, that we had you know, that were very episodic in um, The Last Wish into sort of Destiny, where it starts coalescing a bit more into sort of full novels. And while um, the timeline never becomes like super clear, because this is a series that loves playing with the idea of time and space, mm. um, it got, does become a, a coherent novel narrative. Um, so we're going to just um, do that chapter by chapter. Um, or at least section and... by section, given Sapek loves his long chapters. Yes, yes. A lot of the chapters are about the short story length, so the ones that are, we will we will do those. Um, if they start getting long and weird, we'll we'll break them up differently. Um, yeah, um, and I think that's 
that's that's us. So it's time to start getting into other characters' heads and not just Geralt's. And, and it really does break. It does really change something that we no longer exist just in Geralt's head um, and start moving into other characters. But uh, uh, it's very enjoyable, and we will be exploring that together. Um, so I think that that's it. Um, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you again next time when we read the first chapter of Blood of Elves. Our music is Medieval Distraction by Lucas Perny and Milislav Kolar, which you can find at freemusicarchive.org. And you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher Cast, or email us at castapodtierwitcher at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>